Listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim, and I'm the host of this program. I would like to apologize in our July 2nd broadcast program. I announced 3,000 people instead of 300 people were held hostage. I apologize for any confusion I may have caused and will do my best to prevent this from happening in our future programs. Last summer, around this time of the year, the United States Supreme Court ruled that same-sex marriage was legal in all states. Although I predicted it was going to happen, it was still very shocking to many Christians. After hearing the news, my mind was filled with many thoughts, and my heart was heavy for quite a while. What was this nation like before? Just about 390 years ago, the Puritans found freedom in religion and this country was established on Christian foundations. But we are here now, almost 400 years later, and this nation has slowly changed, forsaking God and turning His truth into lies. But of course, America isn't the only country like this. In contrast, what about Korea? Only about a century ago, we witnessed the great spiritual growth in the Korean peninsula centered in Pyongyang. On the same land where the blood of countless martyrs were planted and poured out, people are forgetting about God in the midst of the abundance and prosperity of the nation. Churches that are to shine in the darkness are losing their light, and Christians are instead being influenced by the ways of the world rather than the opposite. Churches today are growing more in power and are becoming more of a business. The numbers and size have been the main focus of churches nowadays, which reminded me of the Laodicea church in the book of Revelation. There are many biblical scholars who claim that the Laodicea church symbolizes the churches from the 1900s to the churches that will exist until the day Jesus returns. So what does that mean? That is referring to the churches that exist presently. Looking at the message that Jesus wanted to relay to the church of Laodicea through John leads me to think that we must carefully think about what message Jesus is trying to tell us today. We'll come back to share more after our first song.
In the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation appear the seven churches. These churches are actual churches that existed during the time of AD 95 when John wrote the Revelation. However, there are many scholars who claim that these churches represent the spiritual state of the churches that exist between the times of the early church through the end times. Among these seven churches, the church of Laodicea is said to represent the church of the end times. The one that represents the church that waits for the return of Christ. The book of Revelations, written by John, is a letter that Jesus wrote through John to the churches that were being persecuted. I think about how these letters may have given these churches the courage, strength, and comfort they needed as they were fearful in the times of their persecution and calamity. However, when reading these letters, Jesus gives each church a different message, and among the seven. Two of the churches received a message that even through the times of trouble and persecution, they have kept the word of God and did not deny His name. Four of the churches received compliments, but at the same time were rebuked for losing its first love or for holding false teachings. Well, then what about the Church of Laodicea, who many people say symbolizes the churches of today's generation? Unfortunately, the Church of Laodicea. Was the only church that received no compliments, but rebukes only. What exactly was this church like to receive such a message? If you read Revelation chapter three, verse fifteen through seventeen, it says, "I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, because you say I am rich." And have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They say that the city of Laodicea, in which the church of Laodicea was located, was known to be a very wealthy city. At the time, if the city was in need due to an earthquake or natural disaster, Rome would send money to help recover. However, the city of Laodicea did not need any monetary support. Which shows how wealthy the city itself was. However, does this mean that the church was just as wealthy? Also, they actually proclaimed themselves, "I am rich and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing." However, to these people who claimed they need nothing, what does Jesus tell them? He says to them, "You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked." Other churches received persecution. Had false teachings caused confusion and chaos? However, the Laodicea church did not have any hardship with all the riches and wealth, and because of this very reason, their faith was neither hot nor cold, and was lukewarm.
Although they did not have Jesus within them, they felt they were in need of nothing. They lost and didn't have in them what was the most important, Jesus Christ, and therefore Jesus tells them he will spit them out of his mouth for being lukewarm.
up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is Grace, 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 Part 1, based on Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Francis. Well, this morning is kind of interesting because I'm actually speaking on something I don't understand. It's always fun, huh? And what I mean by that, and, and yet I understand it better than I did last week. I understand it better this morning than I did last night. You see, spiritual knowledge, spiritual knowledge isn't just about intellect. Spiritual knowledge isn't just, you don't get to know things by God, things of God, just through pure intellect and just through studying enough. If that were true, then, you know, all the most intelligent would know God, all the Asians would know God best. But the Bible teaches that, uh, just kidding. The, the Bible teaches that in knowing God and spiritual knowledge, it's, it's more than intellect. In fact, he says that he'll, he'll frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. And the Bible is, talks about how there's a direct correlation, direct correlation between spiritual knowledge and obedience. That how you obey actually affects what you will know. That was the whole point of the parable of the sower. You know, when he says he throws out seed, and a lot of it depends on your heart and where it's at. And that's why and, and at the end of the parable, he talks about, uh, he says, he says, therefore, be careful how you listen. Be careful how you listen, because to whom some, the ones who get it and actually apply it, they're going to receive more knowledge. But the ones that don't apply it, even what knowledge they have will be taken away from God. Like God himself either puts knowledge in you or takes knowledge out of your mind. And a lot of it has to do with your obedience. That's why even like in Romans 1, it describes those who suppress the truth and continue on in their sin. God actually gives them over to a depraved mind. Because of their disobedience to the truth that they knew, God says, you know what, I'm going to mess up your mind. Because you're being disobedient. And there's this correlation that, 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 that goes between application and more knowledge. And that's why the Bible says, be careful how you listen to the word of God. Because if you don't apply what you hear, you're not going to get more knowledge. In fact, knowledge will be taken away from you. 
Spiritual knowledge is more than just intellect. And, and the issue that I'm struggling with and the issue with why I'm saying I don't get it is because, not because I don't mentally get it, but internally. Like in the very core of my being, do I really get this concept that I'm talking about? And the issue that I'm talking about today is freedom. Freedom. I've never really heard anyone talk about freedom in church. I've never heard a sermon on freedom. Um, and yet, it's a theme that runs throughout the book of Galatians. And Paul fights for this issue of freedom. In fact, Jim wrote this song a while back. I don't know if you got the CD. And there's this line that said, it's for freedom that I've been set free. And I remember hearing that line and go, it's kind of weird. It's just kind of his little artsy deal. You know, I was wondering, that's like theologically incorrect or whatever. And then I realized, no, he's quoting Galatians 5.1. That's exactly what Galatians 5.1 says. I didn't know it was in the Bible, you know, that it's for freedom that Christ set us free. The point of Christ setting us free was for this very issue of freedom. It's a big deal. It's such a big deal that Paul gets really fired up about it here in Galatians 2. And people, they were trying to take freedom away from the Galatians. And Paul says, no, I'm not going to let them do that to you. And the book of Galatians is reminding them that they have been set free by Jesus Christ. And I realize that God wants us all. He wants everyone in this room to experience freedom, complete, complete freedom in Jesus Christ. But the reason why we don't know this type of freedom, the reason why I don't know this type of freedom, and most of us don't know this type of freedom, is because we've got issues. We do. And these issues keep us from seeing the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. This is something God's been showing me the last couple of weeks. It's crazy, but I used to think that you guys had all the issues. <laughs> and that I didn't. I really believe that. Because I because yours are so blaring. And I I thought, yeah, but I you know, like like it's so weird. I had issues that were keeping me from seeing my issues. And these last couple of weeks, God's kind of opened my eyes and go, you know what, you've got so many issues that you think everyone else has the issue. And maybe that's some of you in this room. You can see everyone else's issues, but you think you've got it together. And the truth is, is now you've got issues. You've got some serious issues. Um, we all do. Because you know what? Our parents screwed us up. <laughs> we were raised with, by people with issues, right? We were taught by people with issues. And, uh, and so often we think we see clearly, but we don't. We don't, and God's opening my eyes to realizing, no, there are things in your life that have messed you up, and it's going to be a process to figure it all out. Um, but we all, we're all in a fog, okay, right? Now, if this is all you've seen all your life, how can you know when you're seeing clearly and the fog is gone? See, I could step over here and say, oh, I used to be in a fog. Well, no, you used to be in a thicker fog. See, but the truth is, is we're all in a fog. We are. Some of you are in a fog, a real thick fog, and the lights are off. <laughs> Others, you're just in a fog. The lights have been turned on, but you're still in a fog, maybe less of a fog. Hopefully that, you know, I'm in a fog and I'm teaching you. You're being taught by an imperfect person. See, because absolutely my, my parents messed me up. But the whole point is, this is life. In fact, the Bible says 
that while we're on the earth, we're only going to be able to see dimly, like in a mirror, like in a scuffed up mirror. We're just going to barely see. Why? Because we're in a fog down here. There's going to come a day when we can see clearly, but we all have to admit, while we're on the earth, we're only going to see God partially. We're only going to see truth somewhat partially. We're going to see like in a dim mirror. And then one day we'll actually be absolutely clear and go, no way. Man, I can see God face to face and all the things that were wrong and all the issues that I didn't know I had. Now I finally get it. But the truth is, is that there's some of you, you grew up in this family where you were taught things to be absolute truth and they were ingrained in your head for all those years and you can't help but see scripture through that lens there were things that happened to you things that that where you were abused or experiences you had and here's my point We, we can't help but be messed up right because everything that happens to us affects our mind we've been taught by imperfect people all our lives some of you guys were raised in religions that told you you got to do this, 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 and this to get to heaven. And it's so ingrained in your head and you think it's out of there, but it's not. There's still some residue in there, isn't there? And it still bugs you sometimes. And then you've got the world's teaching every week, teaching us stuff of, you know, of us being good people or whatever. And it gets in our heads a little bit. We've had uh, all sorts of different experiences. And basically, even if you've been in this church... For some of you have been in this church for over 10 years, and you've been taught by me, a guy that's imperfect. And so when I teach, I'm going to be teaching through my issues, and hopefully the Holy Spirit blows some of the fog away, and hopefully I'm in a little clearer place to kind of help you to a place that's less foggy in understanding God. But we've all been taught by imperfect people, and we all have these different issues, and we're imperfect people. And so we're just a bunch of people kind of trying to figure it out here on the earth, And so let's just admit that and quit believing that everyone else is messed up and go, you know what, God, I've got my own issues and let's pray about that. In fact, I'd like to give you a couple minutes right now just to come before God and just say, God, I know that there are things in my life that keep me from seeing you clearly. There are experiences in my life that keep me from knowing you completely. And God, would you lift some of the fog today? Pray for me as I try to preach this message that God would get me past the, you know, just these issues that I have and to be able to just say everything that the Bible says and that I would say it clearly. We need the Holy Spirit's help to understand the word of God. See, in Galatians 2, there were people that uh, they were trying to distort the gospel. There were people that were saying that, well, Paul is preaching an incomplete gospel. See, these people, they were in darkness. They had issues all their lives. They'd been trying to follow these rules, these traditions, these laws. And so then they hear about Jesus and they're going, oh, yeah, we can have this freedom in Christ. But then they thought, well, but we have to keep obeying these laws and these traditions and everything else. Now, Paul was teaching, no, you don't need those laws anymore. That's what Jesus set us free from. We don't have to follow these traditions. You don't have to do this, this, or this. The the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is enough. It's just about faith. It's just about grace. It's just about the Spirit. And so these people who were steeped in this tradition were telling these Galatian churches, no, 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 Paul's wrong. Paul's wrong. There's more to it. It's not just about the cross. It's not just about grace. It's not just about believing and how the only thing that counts is this love that's expressed through faith. He goes, there's more to it. And Paul says, no. 
They're trying to put you guys in bondage. They're trying to make you obey these laws that you don't have to obey. Jesus Christ set you free from that. You're absolutely free from that. And that's what the, the backdrop of Galatians 2 is about. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 1, he goes, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. Paul had been preaching to the Gentile people. The Gentiles, is that's the word for anyone who wasn't Jewish. Paul had been preaching to people who were not Jewish and telling them about the freedom in Christ. He'd been doing that for 14 years. He's seeing people get saved. He's seeing the Holy Spirit in their lives. But then there were these people that were Jewish believers or possibly Jewish believers. And, and they were saying, no, Paul, you also have to teach them the Jewish law, the Jewish traditions. In essence, they have to become Jewish and then become Christians. And Paul's saying, no, that's not true. And now these people were saying, well, you know, that's Paul's gospel. But the real apostles... You know, Peter, James, John, the real ones that were actually with Jesus, they'll tell you that you got to obey the law. And Paul's point was, no, no, no. I went up to Jerusalem to talk to those guys. I actually went up to Jerusalem after 14 years of preaching to the, the Gentiles, this freedom in Jesus Christ. I actually went to Peter, James, and John. He goes, I took Titus along also. In verse 2, he goes, I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. Okay, so Paul says, look, I went to Jerusalem and he goes and I set before them. I said, look, here's he goes. I laid out to the other apostles. Look, here's the gospel I preach to the Gentiles. It's about faith. It's about grace. It's about freedom. And he says, so we had this discussion with all the apostles and I took Titus with me. Titus was one of the Gentile believers who didn't obey the law. And and he was a Greek and he wasn't circumcised. And the Jews were like, well, okay, I, I see the Holy Spirit in him. So he must be saved. And yet he's not obeying the law. And Paul's saying, even after that whole discussion, Titus left there. I left there going, okay, so they agree. You don't have to obey the law. If you want to, you can. If you want to obey the traditions, you want to be circumcised, you want to have dietary laws, you can go for it. But you're free. You don't have to be. He goes, even Titus, after seeing through that whole thing, thought, no, I don't have to be. And if you read about it in, in Acts chapter 15, it, it explains, and you do that on, on, on some other time, but uh, we don't have time to get into it right now, but, but read Acts 15 because it describes that counsel of these people saying, no, you have to obey these laws in order to be saved. And at the end of it, they're going, no, you you really don't. You really don't. And they were in agreement to this. The whole point was the Holy Spirit. The whole point was they saw in Titus, this Gentile who was not obeying the laws, yet they saw the Spirit of God in his life. And they're going, he must be saved. It must be true. You don't have to obey the law to be saved. You don't have to obey these traditions to be saved, because obviously he's saved because he has the Holy Spirit in him. We see that. There's evidence of that. And Paul's saying, yeah, that's what I've seen among the Gentiles. So this law that you're trying to put and impose on people doesn't have to be imposed anymore. Jesus Christ has set us free. And see, in verse 4, it explains this. It says, this matter arose. The whole reason why he had to go to Jerusalem and everything else, this whole matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, 
so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. This is interesting. He says, there are, see, there are these false people that actually came to church. There are kind of these false brothers that came in to spy on them. They're saying, wait, these Christians over here, these believers, they're just worshiping. They're just, you know, giving their lives to the Lord and everything else. And yet they're not under the burden of this law. They're completely free. And it bothered them. They didn't like the freedom these Christians had. They wanted to put them under the same bondage they were under. He said they were spying out because they wanted to make us slaves because misery loves company. People who don't have freedom don't want you to have freedom either, do they? People that have all these burdens and laws heaped upon them, they want you to be under those same burdens and laws. They can't stand this freedom, this joy, this peace that you have in Christ. They want you to be under the bondage of something else. And that's what these people are doing. And Paul says, I didn't give in to them for a moment. He goes, I was going to fight for your freedom because they were telling me you had to do this, this, this. And Paul says, I, I said, no way. No way. I will fight for this thing because it's about the truth of the gospel. I want the truth of the gospel to remain in them. You are my treasure and my 
You're now with Unity in Christ, powered by Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to hear from you. If you have any comments or testimony that you want to share with us, please email it to askhsgm at gmail.com. Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcasts. You can easily play this week's or past week's program, or even download them on your device in just a few minutes. Search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes stores now. Following is a program titled, The Lord is My Shepherd, where we learn about our Lord who is our shepherd through Psalm chapter 23. Hello again and welcome back to The Lord is My Shepherd. I'm your host, Jim Hughes. Last time we started to share Psalm 23, the one that's most loved by many people and Through this program, we want to see Psalm 23 from the perspective of a shepherd. It's difficult to understand completely this psalm, which starts with the confession, the Lord is my shepherd. If we cannot understand well the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Last time, we shared a little bit about our Lord, who is our shepherd, the one who created the whole universe and reigns over it, the one who is sovereign over all things. And this God is our shepherd. Philip Keller, who wrote A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, reminisces about when he bought his first sheep. He writes, When I first took the adventure of keeping the sheep, I realized how important it is to buy the sheep giving money in exchange. Because just for having paid a price, that sheep became mine. The money that I used to buy the sheep was money that I had earned with blood, sweat, and tears during a very difficult time of my life. When I first bought the sheep, it was literally buying the sheep with my own body. When a shepherd buys a sheep, there is blood, sweat, and tears involved in the price that he pays for the sheep. Unless buying the sheep from spare money, everything of the shepherd's life is included in the price paid for the sheep. Especially when this sheep is the one that he will raise to make his living. What kind of sheep would be the one that the shepherd buys, paying with all that he has? What kind of sheep do you think the shepherd will choose? Let's imagine that you're the shepherd, and giving all that you have, you're going to buy ten sheep. How would you choose those ten sheep? 
Would you just choose the first hen sheep available? Or would you designate even an odd number sheep and then choose the even numbered ones? Or, to avoid trouble, just let the seller give you whichever ten he wants? You wouldn't do that, right? Even when we buy an apple from a store, don't we look at it and see if it's bruised or not? See if it's rotten, examining it fairly carefully? How much more so when choosing a sheep that has life? The one that I'll be raising, the one that I'd give my all to buy. Won't you spend more time and effort in choosing it? This is not to say that when God chooses us, he chooses the one who is better, the one that is more capable, and that he doesn't choose the one with flaws or hurts. But that when God chooses his sheep, he doesn't do it without thinking, just randomly. God has a special standard, and he must have chosen according to that standard. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 5 tell us of the grace of God. It reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. The saints who are chosen by God are not just sheep. They are his sons. How carefully would he have chosen them? You and I have been blessed to become his children in the exercise of this kind grace of God. The shepherd that has chosen his sheep so carefully naturally feels close to his sheep. Having bought these sheep by paying a price, the shepherd, as the owner, pledges to give everything and to do his best for them to grow well and to flourish. It is said that the shepherd performs a special ceremony for these sheep, these sheep that he purchases by paying the price of all that he has, and this, this ceremony is actually not that pleasant. What could it be? It's an event where the shepherd gives to his sheep a special mark. Most shepherds take each sheep one at a time and placing its ear on a wooden table and taking a sharp knife make a deep mark on his ear. The shepherd's heart aches while making the mark and the sheep also suffers because of the wound. However, this is a very important and needed event where the shepherd marks forever that this sheep belongs to him and the sheep gets to carry his owner's mark in his body. In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, there are many passages that express this type of imagery. One reads, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And also it reads, Then I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father, written on their foreheads. These are from Revelation 7, 3 and 14, 1. Just like the shepherd makes a mark on his sheep, God also marks his people to prove that they belong to him, although that sign may not be visible to our eyes. However, the Lord, who is the shepherd, has marked his own, 
He knows perfectly which ones are his sheep. Many people of this age have many questions about the mark of the beast that is written about in Revelation chapter 13, and some of them are even fearful. Some people say that this sign is represented by a credit card or the internet, or more recently, the Verichip. And some even claim that if you have or receive these, you lose your salvation. But is that really a biblical perspective? Just as we have shared today, God has chosen his people in Jesus Christ even before the creation of this world and made them become his children through his son, Jesus Christ. And to these people that he has chosen, just like the shepherd marked his sheep, God wrote his name and the name of the lamb on their foreheads to proclaim them as his own. The reason why some people will receive the mark of the beast is because they don't have the name of God written on their foreheads. It doesn't mean that people who already have the name of God written on theirs will have that mark voided. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 reads, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who has been slain, and that those who worship the beast will receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. The Lord is my shepherd, and Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He willingly and readily gave his life for his sheep. He will not let his sheep be taken by wolves. It is not by coincidence that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. God, in his saving plan, handpicked you and bought you by paying the price of the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. We are his sheep. We are his people. The one that understands this is able to confess, the Lord is my shepherd. Please join us again next time, for the Lord is my shepherd.
I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. These are the scriptures of Revelation chapter 3 verse 18 through 20. The church of Laodicea thought they were rich, wealthy, and had nothing in need. However, they did not realize that they were miserable and poor as they did not have Jesus, their Savior who can lead them to salvation. They did not realize they were not saved as they were, and that the shame of their nakedness was apparent as they were not clothed in Christ's righteousness. I think now that these words of Jesus to the Laodicea church are a direct message Jesus has for the churches that exist today who are growing in power and wealth, neither hot nor cold. Even without Jesus, churches are growing in number, and even without any relation with Him, churches do not realize they are in need. These are the Christians that exist today that claim they are walking a faithful walk with Christ, but in reality, without Him. Jesus is telling us to be zealous and repent. He rebukes us only because He loves us. He says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 
let us all repent. He tells us for anyone who hears his voice, he will grant to sit with him on his throne. I hope that all of our listeners may take this time to reflect upon your faith, and if we may be lukewarm, we may be zealous and repent with everything we have so that we may reunite with Him again and live in the true happiness and peace that He allows us. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless. I can barely stand right now Everything is crashing down And I wonder where you are I try to find the words to pray I don't always know what to say But you're the one that can hear my heart